This message by Chad Porter, entitled "Worthy of Praise," was recorded at Wellspring Church on September 1st, 2019. The text for this message is Jude verses 24 and 25. Today's scripture reading will be Jude verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we come again to you this morning as we do each week, which is a testament to your faithfulness and your goodness to us, O Lord, because you know that we are needy. You know that we are weak. You know exactly what we need. We need you. And you have given yourself to us in so many ways, one of which is gathering us together each week on the Lord's Day to receive your grace through your words sung and preached and partaken of in communion and fellowshiped in with our brothers and sisters. And so we pray for your continued blessing on us this morning, that you would give us what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't uh, I don't know if you know anyone like this. Chances are you do, but uh, the person who who knows people, the person who always knows a guy, right? Ben was kind of like this at, uh, in Zimbabwe. I didn't plan to say that, but I just saw you. So yeah. <laughs> um, he has a way of making friends. He was in uh, Dubai for like. 12 hours and he already knew a guy at the market that he got us a deal, you know, that he uh, connected with on the way back. And, uh, I remember I knew another, uh, another person at our old church. Uh, he shares a birthday with me. So, you know, he's an upstanding gentleman, but, uh, he was one of the elders at our old church and he always knew someone, right? And, uh, he got Crystal a job because he knew someone from his college days that had gotten into a, like this, uh, big position at Biola, the school that we went to undergrad. And so, uh, kind of people are just good at networking and it's not fake, you know, it's just a genuinely good at meeting people at developing and building relationships, um, there. And so I say this because how much more it's, it's important who, you know, in certain respects, right? Getting a job, um, figuring out what school to send your kids to, uh, what uh what is good in the city and what you should be doing on a particular weekend um but the most important person to know is god the most important person to know the only truly important person to know is god and we see that at the end of jude's letter this morning he caps off this short letter which has had very passionate language throughout with an equally passionate call to praise and to worship God. Many people are unfamiliar with the book of Jude except for these verses. If you've, if you're familiar with it, it's probably because of these verses. We read it routinely as the benediction here to send us out at the end of our services. And it's because it's, it's one of the most glorious kind of 
outlinings of praise, of adoration for who God is for specific reasons and purposes. And so what a privilege we have to spend our morning together in it today to wrap up this letter and to see what it is that Jude is really driving at. He's really what he's getting at in this whole letter kind of summed up and capped off in these last two verses that the splendor of God secures us and sends us. The splendor of who God is in His person, in His work, who He is, it secures us, it makes us safe, and it sends us and launches us out to one another in here and to those outside of our community. And we'll see this from our text this morning. And to help us through that, we'll we'll focus on three main points. And that is security, majesty, and mission. Security, majesty, and mission. To begin, as I mentioned, this passage is a passage of praise. It is called a doxology. It may say that at the uh, in your Bible at the, kind of the beginning of the paragraph. And that is really just a term indicating a praise, worship, adoration. You'll see it often throughout the Bible and often in kind of epistles, these letters. They'll come to a point. Paul is famous for doing this. He'll just be going through the letter and all of a sudden kind of erupt in these in these words of praise to God. Sometimes it's at the end of the letter to cap it off, but oftentimes they're kind of in the middle. This, this, it's welling up inside of the, auth, of the author, and he, uh, he gives praise. He gives worship. Doxology comes from doxa, the word for glory in Greek, and that's what Jude is doing here. The, everything he's been doing in this letter, kind of driving him to this, this time of praise. Look again at verse 24 with me as we examine security. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The first verse in verse 24, Jude drives to two things. He recalls or explains or kind of explicates two things about who God is that makes sense in the light of his letter. Remember the context of where this is coming from thus far. It's pretty severe, the language throughout much of this. It's, like I said, it's passionate language. There's been false teachers that have infiltrated the church and he's, he doesn't mince words in what will happen to these false teachers. Should they persist in their ways? What's at stake is eternal judgment. And so Jude uses very strong language to talk about that. It's very kind of sober warnings, warnings of judgment. And what we've seen in the past few weeks is that these are very serious warnings to the false teachers. But what we need to remember is we know what they are like because there is we're more like them than we are unlike them in some respects. And what I mean by that is there are propensities that the false teachers that they are characterized by that we still feel within our own souls and within our own hearts, right? And so there's very sober warnings 
that have come along for like the meat and the body of this letter. But then when Jude turns in this doxology, he does something that might catch us by surprise at least a little bit. He turns and offers comfort to God's people. And the first way that he offers comfort is he said, God is able to keep you from stumbling or to keep you from following, falling. In the context of severe warnings on what's going to come against those who pervert God's ways and reject Jesus Christ, you turns to the people and he said, God is able to keep you from falling. He is able to protect us. This makes sense in light of, remember verse 1, the very beginning of the letter. Who does he call? Who does he address this letter to? To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. We talked about that, the great love of God and his keeping us for him. And he comes back to it here at the end. God is able to keep you from falling. It reminds me of when we preached through Judges a number of months ago. Uh, you'll remember that if you were with us. An Old Testament book that uh, we walks through kind of a series of deliverers in, in Israel before there was a king. And so there was this pattern. Israel uh, was delivered, given into this land, and they turned and they worshipped other gods. And then people came and oppressed them. God delivered them over to the peoples of the land. So then the people cried out to him. God raised up a judge to deliver them. And then they were, everything was great. And then they turned away from God again. And it's kind of the cycle that goes throughout the book of Judges that we talked a lot about. And it reminded me, this passage specifically, or this part of the passage specifically of Gideon. I don't know if you remember him, but he's somebody who, uh, in the, uh, in the midst of this, this, uh, time, this kind of cycle, he exhibits a lot of doubt, testing of God and pride. Right, and so he he's doubting God's goodness in the beginning of his story in Judges seven. There, he's kind of he's hiding. He's not trusting in what God has promised to the people, and yet God calls him, even though he's hiding. He's kind of timid and scared. He calls him. He says, "I'm going to use you to deliver my people." And then, uh, perhaps what he's most famous for, he tests God. He says, "All right, God, if it's you." talking to me. And if you really want me to do this, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a fleece out on the ground overnight. And in the morning, I want you to make it be wet with dew and moisture on the fleece, but completely dry on the grass around it. And so he, he says that to God because he doesn't trust God's word. And what does God do? He does it. He wakes up in the morning. It's completely dry on the ground around him. He gets the fleece up and he wrings it out with all the water in there. You think, okay, great. But but then what does Gideon do? He said, okay, now what I want you to do is I'm going to put the fleece out again, but I want you to do the opposite. I want you to make the fleece completely dry in the morning and the grass all around it covered with dew and wet. We're reading this being like, what are you doing? But then what happens? God does it again, completely dry on the fleece and completely wet on the ground. And then so Gideon's like, okay, now I'm going to go. And he goes and God delivers the people through him. And then they start coming to him and saying, Oh, Gideon, you're so awesome. You're so amazing. Be our king. Be our king. And, and he goes, No, 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 no. I don't know. Only God is your king. But then he names his son Abimelech, which means my father is king, which was very significant at that time. And so he has all this like this false modesty. You have this like fear, distrust, testing, 
pride. But then you get to, and we, we talked about this when we preached through Gideon, you get to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, if you're not familiar with it, some people call it the Hall of Faith. It's like, it's this chapter in the book of Hebrews where God is kind of just saying examples of this great cloud of witnesses, our ancestors in the faith who are watching us, who have gone before us, and who we are connected with. And so he's calling out all these people, these examples of faith. You know, you've got Abel, you've got David, and you get, you get, you get to Gideon. <laughs> and he calls out Gideon in this example of like, these great, these are cloud, our ancestors that have gone before us and, and continue on hard because there's people who have gone. And they mentioned Gideon, which is crazy. And cause I was like, that guy is not great. Do you not know that story? He was, he was like a two bit deliverer who you couldn't, didn't really get it or whatever. But the point of why that, of why the author to Hebrews and ultimately God mentions that and why his story is in there is really to highlight that the security of your faith does not rest and reside on you. Your security in life and in your own faith does not actually rest on like the strength of your faith. Because Gideon had not strong faith. But rather, it rests on the presence of your faith. Your security, my security in life and before God, the most important problem or situation you'll ever be in is you're standing before God. Your security in that is not dependent upon the strength of your faith, but its presence. Which is to say it's not dependent upon you, but upon God. God alone is able to keep you from stumbling. And think about that written to the believers here in the book of Jude. We've talked about it before that the situation that, that is in their church was radically like, they didn't see this. They didn't notice the false teachers. They didn't, they came in sneakily. They were unaware of it. And all of a sudden you think your community is pretty good. And, and Jude's writing, no, it can be turned upside down. The people that you love and you, why did these people get in? Not because they were bad, not because they were hateful, not because people didn't like them, but because people liked them. False teaching is appealing to us, which is kind of scary. And so you've got these people in this congregation, their lives are kind of all over the place. What they, what was bedrock to them is now shaky. And so Jude, this praise that is welling up inside of his heart is God, to, to our God who is able to keep you from falling. Not only is he able to keep you from falling, he's also able to present you before the presence of his glory with great joy. He's able to keep you from falling into judgment, that severe warning that has been throughout this book. And he's also able to present you, to cause you to stand. He's able to keep you from falling and to cause you to stand. To cause you to stand where? To cause you to stand before the presence of His glory, which is another way of saying to cause you to stand before God Himself. God alone is able to keep you from falling in judgment and to make you stand before His presence. What characterizes that standing? We will be blameless. To think 
for a moment, to stop and to think for a moment that you not only can, but you will stand before the holy and righteous King of the universe. That Hebrews again, again, as it, it's as the author there is issuing warnings to unbelievers and to apostates, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That God, that God not only can, but will make you stand before Him blameless. When you know who you are, and you know what you've done, and you know what you will do tomorrow morning, that truth is an incredible thing. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. To God who is able to keep you from falling and to cause you to stand before His presence blameless and with great joy. The God who, if you are on the outside of His people, if you are not one of His people. It is not a joyful thing to stand before the presence of the living God. It is a terrifying thing. That's what Jude has been talking about for the balance of this letter, for so much of it so far. But to be one of God's children and to stand before Him, you will be blameless. You will stand with great joy. We were talking with our oldest daughter about death and resurrection and um, what happens when you die. Why did Jesus die? Why did He rise from the dead? What does that actually mean? And we you know, we're talking, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for all, for all of the times that in our hearts we have been naughty towards God or towards other people. God died to pay for that and to make us perfect. And then Jesus rose. It should be like, why did Jesus rise? Kids ask the greatest questions. And you're like, oh man, I got to figure out how to answer these things. Why did Jesus rise? Why did God make him come alive? And we said, God made him come alive for a lot of different reasons. One is one of them is that because he's taking us with him, Jesus rose and he's going to take us with him. We'll rise too on the last day. And he shows us that we will rise with him. In the end. And so, so she goes, Oh, so we're gonna, we'll die. So we won't die. I said, No, we'll probably die. You'll die unless Jesus comes back, but then you will raise with him. And she said, And then I'll go to heaven. I said, Yeah, if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you will go to heaven. And she's like, I don't want to go to heaven yet. I want to stay here and relax. <laughs> and I know exactly what she's talking about. <laughs> and my, my little kid self and my adult self, if I'm being honest, for a long time felt like some inklings of the same thing. Like, oh, that sounds great. I don't want to go to heaven yet. I just want to stay here and relax. Um, I want to stay here and, you know, experience life a little bit, the good things to go. But, but because we have this idea, it's, it's hard for us to imagine that time in our lives being in the presence of God as not being like, I, I don't know, it's somehow boring or not like, uh, it'll be just, I don't know, there'll be, uh, we can't understand it. Hopefully, as Sam preached through um, a summer in heaven, right, he preached through the doctrine of, of heaven and what that will mean, will be hopefully we're getting a little bit better of a sense 
the Bible is clear about what our, our, uh, our emotional state will be in heaven. And it's uniform. It will be the greatest joy that you can ever imagine. I mean, imagine the most, the happiest you've ever been, the most joyful you've ever been here on earth. And now imagine that that is but like a faint picture of what life blameless before the presence of God will be. Isaiah 25, verse 9, it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God, and we have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Revelation 19, 7, Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. There will be a day when the marriage supper of the Lamb will come, when we are, we will be His bride, we will be with Him in heaven, and we will be in the most rapturous joy that you could ever imagine here in this world. And this happens because of God. Because God is able to keep you from falling and cause you to stand before the presence of His glory, blameless and with unsurpassing joy before Him. Jude ends his letter by welling up in praise because our God is great and glorious and provides us steadfast and rock-solid security in Him no matter what is going on in our lives. No matter what is going on in our community, no matter what is going on, period. Our security is sure He is able to keep us from falling and to cause us to stand. That's security. But Jude moves on to majesty. Look at verse 25 with me. To this God who is able to do these things, to this, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This God is glorious. This God is glorying us before all time and now and forever. Before the ages, now and unto eternal ages. There is no time, past, present, or future, in which our God will not be this God that Jude is explaining here. That God will not and has not been the same God. And he uses four descriptors here in verse 25 to continue his praise of the Lord. There are four descriptors, but really you could group them into two groups. It's like two sets of two that reinforce and intensify one another. The first is glory and majesty. I mentioned that word glory before, doxa in Greek, doxology, uh, where we get that word from. The, the Hebrew word for it is kavod. And it kind of carries with it this weightiness, heaviness. The Lord is glorious. He is weighty. He is heavy. He is a God who is near, who keeps you from falling and causes you to stand before Him, and who is most honored, weighty, glorious, 
majestic, glory and majesty. Both of these words throughout the Bible just connote this high honored state, this most honored, highest, most revered state is what God occupies. Glory and majesty is the first group. Dominion and authority is the second. Or power and authority. God is in the most honored and exalted place in the universe. And He has all power and authority over all things. No matter what. We were at the mall uh, this past week or two weeks ago. I can't remember when, but uh, I saw the mall security guards uh, walking around, which I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful that there are security guards and security patrols um, there to uh, watch what's going on, to give a person to go to in case something goes uh, goes awry. But if you start to compare like a, like a mall security guard or ones that you may see at like shopping centers or something like that with a police officer, there's a difference. Because what, what do police officers have that, that security guards don't tend to have, at least not in the same degree, or they certainly do not have in the same degree? Police officers have power. They have power based on their physical training, right? We have some people here that are involved in law enforcement. Their physical training and ability and know-how gives them a power. Their weaponry gives them a power. Their sidearm their guns they have in the car, their taser, it gives them a power. But not only do they have a power, they also have authority. They have a badge. Mall security guards don't have a badge. Well, they might have a badge, but it definitely is not a police badge. It's not the same. It does not mean the same thing because police officers have the authority to rightly execute their power in ways that are appropriate to their station, right? So they possess both power of weaponry and training and the authority to do something. And so if something's going wrong in my life, if something is going wrong at my house, we're just talking to somebody here a couple days ago, something happened in their house in the middle of the night, they got a visit from the cops to that protected them, right? When something's going down, when you're in danger, you want the police, somebody with power and authority as opposed to if you have the choice. And you see that difference kind of juxtaposed there between security guards and police officers. Power and authority, the power to do something and the authority to carry it out. How much more so with God? The one who possesses all power. Complete power. There is nothing that God cannot do. Nothing is too hard for Him. Nothing will exhaust the means of His ability. Nothing will even in the slightest bit tax his ability to where he's getting close to the end of what he could maybe do. God is all powerful and he possesses all authority. Police officers have a derivative authority. They do not have authority to do whatever they want to do. They have an authority that was granted to them by the state. The state has a derivative authority to do what is insofar in agreement with God's natural universe and order to, to encourage good conduct and to punish bad. They do not have an ultimate authority. God alone has the ultimate authority, his ultimate power, ultimate authority. So he's, he's glorious and majestic. He exalt, he inhabits the highest place of honor and he's powerful and authoritative in ways that no one else can compare with. 
He is the highest of all, the greatest of all things, of all beings. And this is the God who is holding you. This is the God who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. God secures you and He's majestic, but it's not only that. Jude actually says more. In verse 25, uh, the, I think the NIV captures it. The, the grammar is a little bit ambiguous, but I think the NIV actually captured in this instance, this instance a little bit better as to what Jude is driving at. The NIV of verse 25 says, To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. To our God be majesty and power and glory and authority. How? Through Jesus Christ. How is this great God who's in the most most honored state with the most power and authority that you can imagine. How is this seen? How are these attributes, attributes most clearly and powerfully portrayed to the world? And how does he receive praise for these attributes back to him? It is through Jesus Christ. And that may not seem shocking at first blush, but like think about this for a second with me. If the clearest and highest display of God's high honor and ultimate authority and power is through Jesus Christ, what does that mean? It means the the ultimate display of those things is through Christ coming in sacrifice of Himself on the cross. that, that, that That seems opposite to us. How is God's highest honor seen? By Jesus, who possessed all high honor and emptied Himself and entered weakness. How is God's power and authority seen? Well, it's seen in Him crushing the ultimate, most powerful enemy, sin and death. And how does He do that? By entering into weakness and suffering and dying at the hands of His own creation. By death, or the highest state empties Himself. The most power enters weakness. And by death, He destroys the most powerful enemy. Through offering, He is raised to the highest place. Seated at the right hand of the Father, the triune God showing His power over all things, His high honor and His authority by the weakness of the cross, which came in ways that were no one would have predicted. And Jude says at the end of this letter, this kind of most most shocking letter in many ways, this is your story. This is our story. Do you want to know how sure your security is? God is able to keep you from falling. He is able to make you to stand. And He will do it as confirmed in the cross of Jesus Christ. He will not take it back. He has skin in the game, if ever anyone did. The triune God saves you and me by Father sending the Son to offer His life and by the Spirit connecting us to it, to this salvation. God secures us God is majestic 
which only serves to further bolster our sense of security and wonder at awe and awe at His love and sacrifice for us. Security, majesty, and mission. As we come to a close, I have just a few under this heading reflections on the book of Jude as a whole. The first, as we've just said, is that God shows us in the book of Jude the magnificence of God's love for us. How He began the letter in the intro is how He ends it more fully and plainly in the doxology. Jude shows us the magnificence of God's love for us. As one song states that we sing here from time to time at Wellspring, What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to get. It's an interesting thing to think that by those words, there is no more for heaven left to give. What more could God offer than Himself for us on the cross? What more, what better stamp of assurance could He give us than His very Spirit that resides within us? And that He Himself is keeping us and calling us home for that day. Jude shows us the magnificence of God's love for us. Second, your faith could not be more secure. It is impossible. Your faith could not be more secure. Thirdly, This praise, this adoration, this admiration for who God is, is meant to launch you and me out into contending for the faith. Remember who the letter was written to. It's actually not written to the false teachers. It's actually not written to the heretics. Who is it written to? Those loved by God and kept by Him for the day of Jesus Christ. Those for whom God will keep from falling and cause to stand. It's written to faithful believers. It's written to the church. And why is it written? He wanted to write about their common salvation, but he found it necessary to write to appealing to 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 write to you, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The praise of God One of the most glorious doxologies in all of Scripture is meant to launch us out into contending for the faith. Into, like we talked about last week, reaching into our own lives and community, plunging deep into God's Word and prayer, and pushing out into service and outreach and love and to care for others. How does Jude call the people? How does God call the people to respond to the false teachers? To show mercy on those who doubt. To love and to reach out. Praise of God, His glorious character, is meant to plunge us deeply into His Word and prayer, both individually and communally, and push out into service and love 
and sacrifice and dedication, not because it is something we have to do, but because if we truly recognize and realize the glorious nature of our God and what has been done for us, absolutely we will go out. Absolutely we will go deep into His Word to learn and get more of what we have tasted. Absolutely we want to call others in to say, see and hear and taste that the Lord is good because I have done so and I will tell you it is better than anything that you could ever center your life around. Praise is meant to plunge us deeply into God's Word and push us out into love and to service and contending for the faith and all that that entails. And finally, a question. How is God calling you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints? This letter was not just written to the church in Jude's immediate day, it was written to us as well. How is God calling you to contend for the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints? To plunge and dive deeply into God's Word and prayer individually and communally? To push out in service and love in ways that make us uncomfortable? Ways that are a little bit scary and terrifying? in ways that push us out into places that we would not have normally gone were we not the recipients of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is God calling you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints? The message of Jude is that the splendor and wonder and glory of who God is, it secures us deeply in our faith and it sends us out on love and mission and service to one another and to the world, to those across the street and to those across the globe, to those with OCC at the collection points as we bring our boxes, as we interact with the staff here, um, and to those across and around the world, to hands at work, what they are doing, to where the Dings and the Phillips are serving. The splendor of our God secures us and sends us. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful again for Your Word to us. We are thankful and grateful again for Christ Jesus and His work for us that we see displayed so powerfully and tangibly in the Word, the Scriptures that we proclaim, that we hear proclaimed on Sunday mornings, that we read about and dive into, and that we see proclaimed and feel and hear and taste and touch as we partake in communion even right now. And so would you continue your work by Your Spirit in our hearts to make us more like Christ Jesus, to secure us in our faith, to send us out, to be about Your work in whatever ways You have called us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.